Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. This morning, I want to uh, share part two of our, the message from last week, Growing in God's Favor. It's still a part of the Supernatural Favor series. But this uh, particular uh, two weeks that we've been in, uh, I, I, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. How did you do that? That's one of my favorite questions to ask. Like, don't, don't just tell me this is what you did, but tell me how you did it, or better yet, show me how, right? An average teacher will tell the student what to do. A good teacher will tell them how to do it. A great teacher shows them. Not just tell them what, not just tell them how, but... We'll get to that part. So that's where um, a lot of this, you know, really is is anchored. Is I, I don't I don't want to talk about big biblical con, concepts like God's favor without talking about the the why. We we need to know why it's important, but we also need to know how. Then it's also good for somebody to show. Hey, this is the, that's why we're spending so much time looking at the life of Samuel. It's because it gets to the nuts and bolts of how. And not just in telling, but in showing. There's a demonstration that's, that's visible in Scripture of what happens in our lives as we do that. And so that's where we're at. In week one, we talked about how favor's not fair. Uh, I wish I could say it like Bishop, Bishop Jakes and get away with it, but it just doesn't work because he says favor ain't fair. But the way he says it, it's just a whole different thing, right? So there's only one Bishop T.D. Jakes, and everybody else is just trying. Um, but it's a, it's a good one to emulate because he's good. Uh, so that was in week one. We talked about how, you know, when we have God's favor, and all of us have God's favor, let's face it, because in the New Testament, mercy and grace and favor all throughout Scripture are linked together. And so we are favored because we are in the family. So you are his favorite. I'm his favorite. I think he likes me more than you, but that's personal preference, right? But you should feel the same way, okay? Uh, so we talked about that in week one. Week two, we talked about how that when we have God's favor, we challenge the circumstances. We talked about how... Um, you know, guys like Jonathan didn't just look at the fact that they were surrounded by the Philistines and say, oh, we're going to leave it at that. Um, but instead, he and his armor bearer went and attacked him and said, perhaps the Lord will deliver them into our hands. And that's what happened. So we talked about that. Last week, we started this discussion on growing in God's favor. And uh, uh, we talked specifically about three key elements that are found in the life of Samuel uh, to get started. And those three that we talked about were listen, Trusting and obeying, and repeat. Now, I know you're going, that's four things. Uh -uh, trust and obey are one, because they're the title of a song, and so they fit together as one, okay? So that's the way that works, all right? So listen, trust, and obey, and then repeat that process. But that's not all there is to it in the process. So that's where we get to today. Um, we're, today, uh, we're going to continue that discussion. But let's have a moment of truth, if you will. As excited as we are to be growing in God's favor we like that. We like understanding that we got it, that God's with us, that he's going to give us his favor, right? As much as we like that, not, not everybody's going to be excited about that, right? Not, not everybody in your life is going to be like, yes, you have God's favor and life is good for you, woo, right? Let's face it, we're also going to have um, as, as the pop singer made famous, we're all still going to have our haters, right? 
We're still going to have people that don't like us. We're still going to have people that especially don't like it when they think that you have an unfair advantage, when, when they think that you have a silver spoon in your mouth. You're still going to have family. Your, your immediate family, uh, they, they may be all excited about what's happening in your life. Uh, they may be excited, but, but not just like humans are not going to like it. There's going to be people in your life, they're not going to like it. The devil certainly is not going to like it. And let's face it, you got the devil, he didn't like it. You're going to have your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, your mother, hopefully not your mom, but you never know. You're going to have some family member that aren't necessarily excited that God's given you his goodness and his mercy. They're not going to really be thrilled about it. They're not really going to look down and go, yay, this is, the, this is the, the situation Samuel found himself in. It's exactly um, the, the point they were in. They weren't exactly living the good life, if you will, when Samuel came on the scene. At the end of chapter 3, it's where we, where we let, left off last week, was the end of chapter 3. Um, we talk, it, and it tells how Samuel was proven as a prophet, how Samuel was established, how everyone knew and he grew, and all of his words were proven out. Uh, so it was great with what God was doing in his life, but that wasn't the case for all of Israel. That wasn't the case of what was going on. In fact, the Israelites were being abused. Um, they were taken advantage of. They were enslaved. They were subjected to the rule of the Philistines there around them. Um, and it had been this way since the death of Samson some years earlier. So for, for I mean, 40, 50, 100 years they've been enslaved. They've been uh, uh, the subjects to be ruled. And, and at one point, and there's, there's a passage in, in chapter 4 where the, the, Philist, the, the Israelites decide they're going to go fight. And we'll get to this in just a second. But it's one part where the, the Philistines tell them, hey, listen, if you don't stand up and fight like men, you're going to serve them like they have served us. Okay? I mean, that, that's the context that the Israelites were in. They are servants to the Philistines. They are being ruled and, and, and over them. To say that the Philistines were excited about Samson being established as a prophet um, is absolutely not the case. They were terrified. They thought this is the worst thing that could happen, so much so that it says in chapter 4, verse 1, that they came to fight. They decided we're going to take the Israelites, we're going to go, we're going we're to go to war, we're going to battle them and remind them of who's who. Uh, they, they came out to fight because they had no interest in giving the Jews any kind of national identity. They had no reason to want them to establish a kingdom inside of what was going on. They wanted to crush their hopes. Uh, they wanted to squash all of their dreams. They wanted to make sure that they knew you may feel like God is with you at this moment because you have a prophet, but we're still the boss. And so they gathered to fight. Samuel has been proven um, to be a prophet, and it for the Philistines, that represented that the Jews were getting back to the way of God and the word of God. Listen, in our lives, when we return to God, the devil's not going to like it when we get back to the way of God and the word of God. He's, in fact, here's the thing. When we grow, when we grow in God's grace, the devil's going to do everything he can to try to keep you under his thumb. When you grow in his favor, he's going to make sure that he shows up with one of the, at one of his outposts that have been established in your life and prepare for an all-out assault on you. Every time. You see, in, 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 this is not going to be on the screens, but in chapter 4, 
Let me just read you this verse. In uh, verse number two, it says, at the end of verse, verse one, it says, Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle, and they camped at Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek, A-P-H-E-K. Now, the reason that's important is because that word literally means an outpost, a garrison point, a place where they had already established a, a military base. That's what the devil wants to do to us. He wants to establish a military base in our life so that when we start to get the word of God living inside of us and we start to realize who we are and whose we are and we start to rise up in the anointing of God and in his favor, he can just run to that outpost and remind us that he's the boss, that he's the one going to bring us crashing down. He's going to make a mass showing, if you will, at one of his outposts that he's already established so that he can prove his dominance over us. From that place, he's going to bombard our marriages, our finances, our health, our kids. Everything we have in our life, he is going to assault it in order to keep us subjected. Whatever he can do to keep us down, to keep our mouths shut, and keep our praise silent is exactly what he's going to do. Because a silent believer is no threat. A silent believer is no threat. I have no threat to his kingdom if I'm keeping my mouth shut. What does Revelation say? How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the... Word of our testimony. The word. So if we're silent, if he can get us to remain silent, we're no threat to his king. He may have lost us in the battle, but he still thinks he can win the war because we're not doing anything about with what God has given us. An enslaved, subjected follower of Christ is powerless to change anything. But when we realize that we have his blessing and favor Already, they're already there. Those chains that the devil has tried to keep us bound with just slip off. We realize that they never were locked to begin with. Now, a lot of times, we kind of get this idea, like the Israelites did. That we, we have this moment with Jesus. Uh, let's be honest, that doesn't mean we're quite ready to charge hell with a squirt gun, right? We may feel like we could, and that's good. You sh we should be excited. But we should also realize we may not have the tools to make it. We may not have the tools to, to ha happen, to make that happen. That's what happened to the Israelites. Here they get excited. Oh, the Lord has established Samuel as a prophet. He is with us. My goodness, things are going to get better. And they run on into war. They decide to go to war without even consulting God is what Scripture says. And I think far too many believers do this same thing. We get all excited about the goosebumps running up and down our neck that we don't even take a minute to inquire of the Lord about what's going on in our lives. I, I wish it was easier, but too many times we do this. I, I, I think... I've learned one really important thing in my, in my young life. That it's a whole lot easier to do what God is blessing than to constantly have to ask God to bless what I want to do. I, I wish that was easier. I, there have been times that I've taken jobs, that I've made decisions and made choices and, and chosen to try something that I didn't even bother to pray about. I just thought it was a good idea and thought, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Didn't even ask. And then wonder why it went so bad. I'd rather instead just be doing what God's blessing because I'm living in his favor and living in, and, and constantly in communion and prayer with him 
It just kind of begins to work that way. Israel doesn't do that. They get all excited because Samuel's on the scene. Yes, we have a prophet again. They rush into battle against the Philistines because now they're going to exert their, uh, their, their military power because God is with us is what they're saying. And they run out and they get spanked. In fact, the first day in battle, 4,000 Israelites die. So they run back and do they pray? No. Nope, uh-uh. But they know they need God to be with them to win, so what do they do? They go get the ark, and they rush with it and Eli's two sons, and they run out to battle, and what happens the next day? They get slaughtered. They didn't inquire of the Lord. They just did, and they get slaughtered. 30,000 Israelites died that day, and they lost the ark in the process. They rush out, and they lose everything. The Philistines capture it. And this is the point that the Philistines, one of them says, because they got all scared because, oh no, the gods are among the Israelites is what they said. And finally, some of the Philistines stood up and they said, listen, if you don't fight like men, you're going to serve them like they have served us. And they fought and they conquered the Israelites again, taking the ark with them. But God, being God, proved that you can't get the upper hand on him. Because for seven months, the Philistines were tormented. It says that literally like boils broke out all over everyone in every city that the ark was taken to. And for seven months, they passed it around. Tumors breaking out all over, and finally they said, enough, take this thing back to the Israelites and give it back. So they bring it to the Israelites, it ends up getting returned to them, and it ends up with this one guy, this one family, this one tribe, this one village, with one person being consecrated as the caretaker for it for 20 years. 20 years, they've got the ark back, and they still don't inquire of the Lord. 20 years. And this brings us to chapter 7, our text today, where we finally re, uh, see that the Israelites are ready to pursue the Lord. They're ready for revival. And in 1 Samuel, uh, in this point in chapter 7, what we see is that as they're ready, yes, we, we need it. it it's kind of like what us Americans have done, let's be honest. We've watched the moral decay of our country. It's crumbled. We've allowed things that we thought as the church we would never see happen, and it's happened all around us. And what do we do? We run and we say, let's pray. God's word says if we pray, uh, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. And we start this prayer movement, and all of a sudden we want to pray, and we want to we make something happen. We get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and so now we want to pray and do something. And that's where the Israelites have found themselves. They run, and, and now they're ready to bring the man of God back on the scene. We want Samuel back. Now, finally, they want uh, uh, his input to, uh, to happen on what they should do next. They want him to inquire of the Lord for them. Now they need God because the situation is dire and because they're desperate and that's where we pick up in verse number two it says this time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kiriath Jerem then the whole house of Israel began to seek the Lord then 20 years not when the ark came back no, they tucked tail and ran and hid again and just put their head down, endured the whips on their backs and said, we're going to take it because we can't stand up against them. We don't want to die and get slaughtered again. Instead of realizing our sin was in trying to do it our way, they just took it. But now there's been someone that has risen up that said, enough is enough. Let's pray. Let's seek God and let's see something amazing happen. Now, other translations of this same verse 
read it a little differently. In your Bible, it may say something like this, that Israel mourned because it seemed that God had abandoned them. Anybody ever felt like God abandoned you? You, you tried to do the right thing. You, you've tried to hang in there, but it doesn't feel like God's with you. Anybody? Anybody had, a, had one of those weeks? You know, some, sometimes, it, sometimes it's easy to, to kind of look at the preacher and go, well, yeah, but they got it all figured out. I, that, I, I ain't Jesus and I ain't God. I, I'm not even a distant relative at that rate, you know what I'm saying? Here, here's, the, here's the thing. Like, like well, we still got to figure it out. So here, here I've been praying and believing that God's leading us into this, and we're, we're talking about living in God's favor and how God's favor is supposed to make everything a bit easier, right? And you, you do things, it's supposed to go well, right? And it's, but then there's the reality of living life, right? Because sometimes bad things happen to good people. Anybody ever have that? Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, we, we um, I'm a Ford guy. And yesterday I got to live through that dreaded, cursed experience of what gave Ford bad nicknames, right? Found on Road Dead, right? Yeah, yesterday afternoon. It's not, not fun. I'm taking my daughter to a, a cheer practice thing. She's going to hurt her team. They get to cheer at a Thunder game here in a couple of weeks, and they're so excited. And, and what happens? But I have a blowout, right? It's a flat tire. Oh, no fun, right? Okay. Oh, man, I'll change tire. Call Rachel. Tell her. Call one of the other moms. Come get these girls. Get them on a cheer practice. I'll get this tire changed. Okay, great. No problem. I'm out there. I'm cranking on it, and that wind is cold, right? Especially as these semis go sailing by, and, right? I'm cranking on that tire and working and doing everything I can, working on it, working on it. Nothing. I get to two lugs, won't come loose. So nice gentleman stops, helped me. Apparently he had been in the Navy. Um, at some point in time in his life had to have been with the language that he used. <laughs> so here we, here we are, you know, we're working. And uh, he was saying a lot of things that I was thinking because it just wasn't working, right? So he's got this really cool four-way lug wrench, right, that like slides apart and folds up all nice and neat, cool. And uh, it won't, there's two lugs that won't come loose, right? So he, he like is holding onto my shoulder, standing on it, jumping up and down. Well, we get one of them to come loose that way. There's one, it still, still won't work. And I said, well, you're a really nice guy and you, you're a really small guy. So oh, you mind if I try that? No, oh, come on. <laughs> a lot of other things. Anyway, so I'm holding onto his shoulder and I, I start jumping on this lug wrench, right? And breaks. Right, not the lug, the wrench, <laughs> just right there where it was welded together, just came in two pieces. And my eyes got about this big around, you know, because I'm going, good night, that thing is really poorly made. I didn't immediately turn to myself, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest, right? right? So I'm like, holy cow, that lug is on there tight, you know, and he just starts dying laughing. He goes, well, I would rather it break helping somebody than just sit in my truck. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for not saying all of the ugly things that I'm thinking about it, right? So nothing. Okay, so I think, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll, I have roadside assistance, so I call roadside assistance, assistance, and they send out a 12-year-old child. <laughs> he shows up with the same lug wrench, right? But you're going to need to move that up there. I said, but before we do anything else, the tire's flat. How about you just see if you can get that off? Okay, okay. So he, I said, ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. Hang on. I, I'm getting, today I'm going to get to actually check this off my list. I fixed, uh, helped change car on the highway. Said, Not today, you ain't, buddy. That ain't going to work. 
Okay, so what does he do? He puts that lug wrench on there and he jumps on it. Looks at me and goes, it ain't gonna work. Told you, okay. At this point, I've been sitting there for about two and a half hours dealing with this, right? So we call a tow truck. Call back to roadside assistance, get a tow truck. It shows up and the guy looks at him and goes, man, that's rough. Where do you wanna go? So we take it over to Hibden's. I felt better because when Hibden's got it in there, they couldn't get it off either. 25 minutes later, heating torch, what, uh, you name it, they did everything. They were able to get it to come loose. I still don't know how they did it. I'm just praying to Jesus that the wheel doesn't go rolling down the side somewhere down the road, right? You know, it's one of those ones. So six hours later, when I left to run these girls to cheer practice, I walk in the door. Six hours, a new set of tires later, all while my, my vehicle is in the shop because they don't know what's wrong with it. Now, this is not a woe is me moment. We, we deal with it. This is a, when you decide that this is a fight worth fighting, all hell's going to break loose in your life. Don't give up. The Israel, listen, when you decide, hey, we're going to go after it, guess what? Do you, you expect the devil to be like, yeah, here, you can be an overcomer. You can be a winner today. No, 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 no. The devil wants you to live with that permanent L stamped on your forehead because he wants you to think that you're a loser. But guess what? You're not. You're an overcomer, a conqueror, a victor, someone who has the ability to win the fight, to win the war, because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. God has not abandoned you. God is with you every step of the way. Whether you make your bed in hell or you have set your foot on the highest mountain next to the throne of God, he is with you just the same. That's what scripture says in Psalm 139. No matter where I go, he is with me in the middle of it, right there in the heart of it. God never leaves us, nor does he forsake us. It may be up, it may be down, but he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's with you. Now we know in this story that it wasn't the case that God had abandoned the Israelites because if that were the case, then Samuel would not have gone on like he did in verse number three. Verse number three says, Samuel told them, if you are returning to God with all of your heart, then get rid of your foreign gods and the Ashtoreths that are among you. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you from the hand of the Philistines. If you're returning. Okay, so has God abandoned them? No. What does he say? If you're returning to God, then come on. God's still here. My, my Uncle Ernie, funniest man I know, always forever has driven a single cab Chevy or GMC pickup. And every time I see it, I always think of it. The, the story about the old farmer who one day, he and his wife are in the truck and they're driving down the road, his wife looks at him and says, dear, do you remember when we were young and in love? Yep. Do you remember how we, we, you know, we just were inseparable? Yep. Do you remember how you always had your arm around me and would, would, would hold me tight as we were driving down the road? Yep. How come we don't ever do that anymore? 
I'm still sitting in the same sweet seat, uh, same seat, sweetheart. You're the one that moved. If you're returning to God with your whole heart, you got to scoot over. God didn't move. He's in the same place where we dropped him off. He's in the same seat that we slid away from him in. If we will return to God with our whole heart, he can do something. But he starts by saying you've got to get the obstacles out of your way. You've got to remove the foreign gods, the, the places of idolatry. Those obstacles that keep you from getting close, you've got to remove them first. It's important that we get that he says you've got you to get rid of those. Uh, the sermon series on, on idolatry, that's for a whole nother time period. We'll deal with that later. But we're going to have to get rid of the idolatry in our lives, the things that we've set up to replace God where we think he failed us. Now, it's interesting to me that the, the, the Scripture lists these, the, the Ashtoreth, okay, because that is the Phoenician goddess of love. So what's the, what's, what's the devil's age-old tactic? He's a liar, right? He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. He's going to lie about God. He's going to lie about what God really wants from us. He is a liar, and the truth is nowhere near anything that he says. The devil hasn't learned any new tricks. He's using the same ones because they continue to work so well. But what does he do? He wants us to, to be lied about and to believe the lie that if God really loved you, he would not let this happen to you. Oh, if God really loved you, the doctor wouldn't have said what he said. If God really loved you, Pastor Travis, your car wouldn't have broken down. If God really loved you, it'd be easy for my dad to say, if God really loved me, I wouldn't need to have my knee replaced. Sometimes things wear out. My pickup has 95,000 miles on it. Things wear out. There's still a maintenance and an upkeep side. Things wear out. Things, some of you are, are kind of snickering and laughing because you're going, Man, my car has all that. Hey, yeah, don't worry, mine will get there. It'll have a whole lot more miles on it. Soon and very soon. If God really loved me, no. God really, really loves you. And he wants the very best for you. Sometimes bad things, it rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on everybody. Here's the thing. The devil wants you to believe that God doesn't love you, and he wants you to buy into a lie of what love really is supposed to be, how it's supposed to feel, and this is how God sold you short. It's the same lie he started in the garden. In the garden, he said, did God really say we're questioning things, right? And he wants the, every one of us to stop believing that God really does love us and care about us. He wants us to idolize a false sense of what love is and what it's supposed to be like. We've got to stop that. Stop allowing him to pervert what love is and offering a substitute called lust. How does Samuel counteract this? He begins to deal with the heart. When our heart is, with, uh, is where God is, then we can take anything that comes our way. When our heart is with God, no matter what comes our way, it won't phase us. It won't stop us. It won't slow us down because we're with him. Samuel starts by addressing his address to them by saying, if you are, if you are, because not everybody is going to come back with their whole heart. But Samuel nails the process. Return with your whole heart to God. Remove the idols and then dedicate yourself to the Lord. Dedicate yourself. Give him everything you got. Give him all of who you are, everything. You don't have to have it all together, but you do have to have it all on the table. 
I, just a real quick survey. If, if, if the person you're sitting by is, is kind of dozing off, give them a good elbow right there in the side. Here's the question. Do any of you have it all together and figured out? Raise your hand. Nobody? Man, I was really hoping Jesus was going to be here today. We don't. We have to bring it all to him. He takes everything and works it together for good. We have to choose not to give in to what has always been in our lives. Listen, you don't have to keep running the same race, the same lap over and over again. You don't have to keep taking the same beating and doing the same thing. What got us here won't necessarily take us there. There has to be a change that occurs in our lives. It's required for us to go to a new level. There has to be a change in our thinking and our behavior. There has to be a change for us to go from here to there because what got us here will not take us there. You can't think the same way. You can't give the same way. You can't uh, live the same way. You can't treat people the same way and expect things to continue to get. You have to change along the way to continue to become what God wants. Every time there should be uh, incremental changes and adjustments that happen in our lives that get us where God's taking us. And this is exactly what the Israelites did. This day they changed by God's power when they came back to him with their whole heart and God delivered them from the Philistines. He delivered them. He did. They won the battle that day, and it changed the course of their forever. That moment changed everything. And you and I can have those same results. We can experience and grow in God's favor just like they did. And today I want to talk about two quick ways that you and I can continue to grow. First of all, we've got to feed well. Feed, eat. We've got to feed our spirit. I said feed on purpose because like, sometimes when we think eat, we think, where's the Twinkies, right? I'm talking about feeding. When you feed something, you're giving it what it needs to live. So we've got to feed our spirit. We've got to feed our soul. We've got to feed our our natural bodies. We've got to learn to do that well. And so if we're to dedicate ourselves to God, if we're going to do this and come back to him with our whole heart, we've got to go at it with, with our whole being and give him everything from every direction. To continue to grow in this new way of living, this new way of thinking, this new way of living life to its fullest We've got to fuel the fire that's burning inside of us and not stifle it, not put it out, not not, not prevent it from growing. You see, Samuel Samuel could look at him and say, hey, listen, you got to get rid of the idols. But he had the authority to do that because he didn't have them in his own life. If purity is the backbone to authority, then holiness must be kept on the forefront of the battle. If purity is the backbone of authority, then holiness must be kept on the forefront of the battle. Jesus said in in Matthew 15, 18, that what comes out of our mouths comes from our heart. And ultimately, that's what's gonna defile us. Again, how do we get there? How, How does it get in there? Well, through our ears, through our eyes, and through our thoughts. We hear it, we see it, and then we think about it. So we've got to begin to fight the battle on those fronts. 
If we're going to feed ourselves well, we've got to do what Paul said. Paul said that we're not to think about things, we're to think about things that are pure in Philippians 4.8. If we're going to think about things that are pure, we've got to have a thought process that's going that way and begin to arrest thoughts that are not leading us in that direction. Uh, again, in Colossians 3.2, he said to set our minds on things that are above not on the things that are around us here on earth, but to let our minds be set on things that are above. Listen, we can get so caught up in natural thinking about what's gonna happen here or there that we miss out on the kingdom principle. God wants us to think about things that are above, not things that are just right here. This is why Job said in Job 31.1 that I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. He said I'm not gonna fall, fall prey to that. I'm gonna win the battle. I'm gonna control what I'm feeding my spirit. Paul said that we're not to let any unwholesome talk come from our mouth in Ephesians 4.29. Well, if we're not to let it come from our mouth, then we shouldn't be listening to it either. We've got to stop feeding our soul things that are going to tear us down. Instead, we've got to feed ourselves what Jesus said, like he did, and realize, like he said in John 4.32, that I have food that you don't know anything about. Later on in the Gospels, he said that uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My, my food is to do the will of my Father. I've got to do what God wants from me. I've got to put that into practice. Me and you, we've got to feed our spirits. The principles of feeding our spirit well was something that Samuel got. He understood. And after this revival moment here at the beginning of chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, it says that he went on a tour and judged the Israelites. And he went from city to city as their judge. So in other words, he's going around saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, this is not right, clean this up and move on. Then it says he went home. He went home. But he didn't go to Shiloh. And chapter 3, Shiloh was where he heard from the Lord. And the very last verse in chapter three says that the Lord continued to reveal himself to Samuel at Shiloh. But here at the end of chapter seven, it says that he went home to Ramah, R-A-M-A-H. Not ramen noodles, Ramah. I'm not sure ramen noodles count as real food. Just saying. I'm kidding, I like them. As long as you dump a ton of seasoning on them. And some real chicken. He goes back to Rama, home. He goes back there. That's where his home's at. But it wasn't just where his home was at. The Bible says that he built an altar there. He built an altar. He, he, he was making room. He was making space in his personal life for God. We, we have to make space in our personal life. See, the early life experience that brought us close to God doesn't fade as we get older, but we can't just keep living there either. Listen, where I got saved on June the 2nd, 1997 at Turner Falls Youth Camp, out there laying in the gravel as God set me free from addiction and, and everything else that I was bound up in, literally laying face down in the gravel, uh, all, all, all nice dressed because I was trying to find a girlfriend as I'm laying there in the gravel. I, I, can't, I can't, no, I didn't find a girlfriend, but as, I, as I'm laying there, guess what? I can't go back and build a, a house there. That experience will never fade from my, my memory and my experience. That moment will never fade. But you know what I have to have? More of those moments to live on. 
I can't, I can't keep running back to that same old thing. Those leftovers only last so long. We've got to continue to grow and continue to create new experience moments where we can experience God and grow in his favor. See, I think Samuel needed the visual reminder that something has to die in order for us to continue to stay close to God. I'm not talking about your spouse. We, the Bible says, are to be the living sacrifices. We are the living sacrifices. We're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's us. So there have to be things in my life that are constantly falling away, things that are dying, things that are, are being put away. Samuel needed a visual reminder to remind him of what happens, that this is not something that just occurs, but there is a sacrifice that is made on a regular basis to stay close to God. Because offering a sacrifice at that time was messy. It was bloody. It was not easy to deal with, and it didn't clean up easy. But it was necessary to be close to God. You and I, we've got to realize that there has to be a sacrifice made. There has to be a moment in our life where we realize that there is a messy place where we have to come and say, Lord, this is me. I lay it all on the altar again. You can have all of me, whatever that means, whatever that takes. I give it all again. That's the reason why we've maintained altars here, because I need a visual reminder. You need a visual reminder that this was a place that your old sinful man died. And if he hasn't died or if he's come back to life because you keep breathing new life into him by giving into those sinful tendencies, then come back to this altar and die again. Whatever that takes. Do whatever it takes. If you need to build an altar in your home, build an altar in your home so you can be reminded that death is required to be pleasing to God. He, he crucified his one and only son so that you and I could have eternal life. And if I have to die on a, on a physical altar as a reminder of the price he paid, so be it. I need the reminder. Samuel wanted to be close to God. He wanted to be where his presence was. So he could feed his spirit well. But not only do you have to feed your spirit well, but we've got to endure well. We've got to endure. I've got to endure. You've got to endure. Stay the course. Don't give up. Even when we don't understand what God's doing, even when we don't like what God is doing, stay the course. Just because you're going through it, you're under attack, doesn't mean that you're not growing in God's favor. Quite the opposite is true. The devil's not going to attack somebody who's not a threat to his kingdom. He's going to attack those who are moving. If he's after you, that's for good reason, baby. Hang in there, stay the course, and keep going. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one that made it halfway, the one who ran the whole race. Peter said in, in 1 Peter 4, 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. He's talking to the church that's under persecution. Why for advancing the gospel? Why for believing in Jesus and saying that he is Lord and not Caesar? Guess what? Jesus is still Lord. Stay the course and endure. Enduring also means that we have to allow the pruning process to shape us. This is hard. Jesus said in John 15 too, 
that my father, the, the vine keeper, cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes every branch, prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they may produce even more. The pruning process does not mean that you're worthless. The pruning process doesn't mean that you're in sin. The pruning process means that he's making more room. More room. Why do we have garage sales? Thank you for calling it like it is. To make more room. Sometimes the need starts out there. I need to make some money so I can make some more room to buy some more stuff to fill up my... Start the process again, right? To get some more junk that I don't need from some people that I don't really like. We start to... You've got to make room. You've got to prune. You've got to get things out. But guess what? In this context, pruning means cutting away. It's hard. It's no fun. It, it can be painful because it's like, why did you take that? That was actually something that I thought was good. And God's saying, you've got to let that go if you want to have my best. God doesn't want you to live on yesterday's what-ifs. He wants you to live on tomorrow's promises and blessings that you can take to the bank today. Cutting away is a painful process, but it's, a va it's valuable and it's important. It, it's vital to producing healthy growth. It strengthens us to carry a heavier load. I think the, the author of Hebrews got it really well said in Hebrews 12.1 when he said, Therefore, since we have been, also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Uh, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. I, I like the way the King James says it better. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. It trips us up. It traps us. It holds us down. Here's the thing. Every hot air balloon in the world is useless. It will never soar. It will never fly until you cut loose the weight. It doesn't matter how full of hot air you are. With the weight still on it, it ain't going anywhere. There are many Christians that are just that. They are hot air balloons full of hot air of God's word, but they have never soared. They have never set their eyes on the horizon that is above what natural man can see because they have allowed the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us to keep us where we are. And today is the day to allow the pruning process to cut that loose and set us free. Amen? You can never run as far or as fast as God wants you to when you're carrying the extra weight that God's trying to get you to let go of. Here's the thing. Growing in God's favor, it's available to everybody. Everybody's not going to be excited when you do. You start feeding your spirit well. You start enduring well and saying, hey, God's got a purpose and a plan, and I'm going to see this through. But when we do realize who we are and whose we are, maybe the world better look out because we realize that I'm God's favorite and I have his favor and he is with me. It's okay for everyone not to like us. That's fine. It's okay for them not to like that we're growing in God's favor. That's fine. As long as you and I know who I am and in whom I have believed I'm going to make it, because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I'm not just going to make it. I'm going to overcome. I'm not just going to get by. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to live in victory. Amen?
I'm going to live from a place of victory. I was born for it. I was named it. That's what the name that is engraven upon us from the very beginning as believers is. It's victorious, overcoming, conquer, because we are his children. Amen? Here's the thing. As you get ready to grow, get ready to fight. Get ready to fight. You are going to come in contact with the enemy, and he wants to kill you. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. If he can't kill you, he'll be happy stealing from you. If he can steal from you, he'll be happy destroying your hopes and dreams in hopes that one day he can take you out. But greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, I didn't come just to give you life, but life to the full, abundant, overflowing, more than you could ask or imagine. That's what he came to give us, amen? We gotta get ready to fight. We gotta get ready to fight. You want to grow in God's favor? It's time to saddle up, strap on the full armor of God, and get in there. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Are you here today and you just you, you want to surrender to Jesus in salvation first? You need to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. You're ready to, to stop trying to do it on your own and realize that you have somebody on your side. You have a teammate in this. Anybody at all, that's you. Would you slip up a hand? You're ready to surrender to him? Anybody else? Okay. Here's where the rubber meets the road for most of us. Are you under attack? Have you decided that you're ready to grow and all of a sudden, all hell is breaking loose? Is that you? Anybody here this morning, that's you? Just feels like everything is going, can't seem to get a leg hold up. Okay, okay, anybody else? Come on, be brave, slip up your hand. All across the room, would you stand right where you're at? I'm gonna ask our prayer team to make their way forward. I could talk about it and I could keep asking you if you want prayer, if you need God to do something in your life. Let's pray. I don't have anything else motivational to say to you other than you got to come to Jesus with your whole heart. You got to do what they said, what Samuel told them to do. If you're ready to return to the Lord with your whole heart, then get rid of your idols, get rid of the, 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 the things that, that place the boundary, the hindrance between you and God. Get rid of those things. This is not just to, to unbelievers. This is to the believers, the people who know better. When we allow that junk in our lives, we've got to get it out of the way so that we can come to God with our whole heart that he can deliver you. I don't have anything left to say than that. If you're ready today, man, you're under attack, and you're ready to enough's enough, tired of being sick and tired, man, get out of your seat and let us Pray with you. Please come around this altar and let our, our prayer team, our elders here, we want to agree with you that God would do what only God can do. So if you raised your hand, or you should have, come on, begin to make your way forward as Rachel sings.